Praise the Lord, church. Good to see you in the house this morning. It's a little bit dreary, a little bit gray outside, but I'm vertical and I'm breathing. I thank the Lord this morning for this day, as I'm sure you also do. Before we uh, actually open up totally with service, we're going to have Sister Gerilyn come. She has an announcement for, I believe, the Sunday school. Good morning, everybody. So I have three announcements for Sunday school. Um, our first one is Friday night, this coming Friday night, we're having game night here at the church for the kids. Um, that's the 23rd. We're doing 6.30 to 9. And if the kids, if you guys have any like big Amazon boxes or big boxes in general, if you could send them with your kids, they're actually going to make their own box car for a game or something that we're going to do. Um, then that Sunday is trunk or treat. We are doing the contest again. I don't know if you guys remember last year, a bunch of people decorated their trunks for the kids. Just nothing spooky, nothing scary. Um, but we have three gifts for that. A $50 gift card, a $25 gift card, and a $15 gift card. And then our last one is um, downstairs we've really been focusing on prayer a lot for probably the last month or so. Um, that's going to be our main focus for the rest of the year. So the kids are going to start bringing home these packets to do. We're trying to teach them the importance of praying every day, at least for a few minutes, focusing on God every day. Even if it's not, you know, necessarily prayer, it's doing something else, but always keeping your mind on something about God. So for the first page that they're going to be bringing home is the five-finger prayer. So this is just a little template if they don't know what to pray. It gives them an idea, and every night their parents are going to sign this, that they prayed, and how many minutes that they prayed. We're not expecting them to pray for an hour, um, but at least if they can try to increase, you know, at least every day or every couple of days, if they can just try to increase a minute or two, um, but this goes through different things that you can pray for, so your thumb is closest to your heart, so you pray for those that are closest to your family. Your pointer finger is used to give direction, so pray for your teachers, coaches, therapists, doctors and first responders. The middle finger is the tallest, so you pray for your leaders in the government, your business, your church. Your ring finger is the weakest, so you pray for the sick, the poor, and those that need it the most. And then your pinky finger is the smallest, so you pray for yourself and your own needs. So these are little templates that they can use to pray through if they don't know what to pray. We're just trying to teach them how and the importance of prayer. And then the next couple pages... This one is my letter prayer. So they write a little letter and they'll put a scripture. It only takes a couple minutes. And then the next page is another little thing that they can do. And then the last page is a scripture. So we want them to also memorize scripture. And it's not long scriptures. But they have to memorize a short scripture and then they write a sentence or two of what it means to them. So every week that they bring this back, they get a dollar towards a gift card. And so we get them whatever gift card they want, whether it be PlayStation, Chick-fil-A, Xbox, any gift card that they tell us that they want, they get. Because we want to teach them that it, even though, you know, we're rewarding them, but it's important that we teach them about prayer. So they will get rewards for this, but hopefully it will instill in them something deeper for later in life. Um, so if we could have all the parents support, we just want to make sure we announce that so you guys know what your kids are bringing home. But thank you. Thank you for your support always. Amen. The power of prayer and the faith of a child sometimes 
not sometimes. I think it always trumps us adults. So if we teach our kids how to pray, they have that faith, that childlike faith. Amazing things can happen. Let's open with prayer. Stand if you're able. Father, so thankful for this opportunity to come into the house to lift you up, to magnify you. For truly, God, you're worthy of the praise this morning. You're worthy of the worship and the honor. I ask that there be a sweetness of your presence. Let your will be done in this service, I pray. All to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated if you so choose. We're going to start off with a few old simple choruses, and then we're going to have a testimony, something to bless our souls. pre-COVID that they had a testimony they wanted to give. It's been in the back of my mind. I never forgot, never forgot. A couple weekends ago, I approached, it's going to be Sister Mary Nisa. She's making her way up here, and I asked her, I said, you still have that testimony? She still got that testimony. I said, well, I feel within my soul that I would be lifted up and edified if you gave your testimony. And it was confirmed Wednesday if you were here or if you watched online where Brother Heidelberg was teaching about the man at the gate, beautiful. And he said, when God has done something for you, don't shut up. And that's what pastor said. And it's just true. When God's done something, your past can lift you and encourage for the present. So we're going to have Sister Mary. I don't know if I know how to turn this on. Can you do this? Praise the Lord, everyone. 
I don't know how long I have to say this, but I, I don't just have a testimony. I have a story, and um, I'm going to try to hurry so Brother Hyde can get up here and do his thing. My voice is not what it used to be. I used to get up here and sing, lead song service, and worship, dance, shout, carry on. <clears throat> but time, <clears throat> excuse me, takes its toll, you know. And uh, But God is still good. You see, God hasn't changed. Life takes over sometimes, and we experience things that we didn't think we'd ever have to experience. But God never changes. He never changes. But I want to start out with a scripture. Maybe close to 40 years ago, I was going through a time in my life when it was taken on a, a serious change. And I approached God in my bedroom, went upstairs. I was living in the projects, you know, uh, but I was trying to do everything. I, I was trying to do everything right, you know. But I, I was broken. I was at a point in my life when I thought, God, I can't go on any longer. I just can't. You've got to give me something. Please, please do something. I Take these things, these thoughts out of my mind. I need a new start. Please help me, God. And I prayed and I cried before God. And when I finished praying, I opened, I opened my Bible. And this is what the Lord gave to me. Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. He's saying forget all about the past. You can't do anything about it. I want you to forget it. Behold, I'll do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You're not going to have to wait any longer. Shall you not know it? Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He's telling me, Mary, don't worry. Everything's going to be new. And don't you know that next morning when I got up, that feeling that I had, that deep sorrow, that feeling of emptiness was completely gone. It was like a new day had dawned in my life. And those old thoughts, I didn't have them anymore. And from that moment on, God began to do a work in my life. And saints, the thing and the greatest thing about it is he hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped doing it. As most of you know, one year, Christmas Eve, a year ago, 
my life. It took on another change. We lived in our home for 35 years, you know, and we'd had everything. We'd ripped out every wall we could rip and tore out all the wallpaper we could tear and ripped up all the carpet and put in new wall. <laughs> Made a new home, you know. The yard was beautiful, flowers. My husband is the greatest gardener in the world. You might as well get that through your head. You ain't going to find nobody else better. <laughs> He's the best. And uh, our home to us was beautiful. Our neighbors said we had the mansion on Muna Street, <laughs> you know. Everything was great. And life, you know, you think you get up in the morning. I got up this morning, got ready for Sunday school. And uh, you think everything's going to be fine. I was having back problems, and as a lot of you know, most of you know, there was a fire, okay? But before I say anything else, yes, we did have fire alarms. Yes, we were not asleep, we were awake. And no, I didn't break my back jumping out a window. Now, I don't know where these stories came from, but somehow they seem to just pop up out of the woodwork. So we'll get that out of the way right now. You know, my husband, if anybody knows my husband, we would not live in a house without fire alarms. You know, there's no way. We had one right at our bedroom door. Every time the shower went on, the fire went out. You know, the fire alarm went on, so... Everything was great, but that's out of the way. But anyway, you get up in the morning, you think everything is fine. I was having problems with my back. I was in a lot of pain. We're waiting to get a schedule to go to surgery. You know, trying to get all the Christmas shopping done, managed. Everything was great. All the gifts were wrapped, passed out, except one gift. And that was one for one of my little granddaughters. But you went to bed. You know, we went to bed. Everything's fine. You know, no, n nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. The house was like it always was to us. But you know, sometimes there are things that are smoldering in your life that you're not aware of. And no matter how much precaution you take, or no matter how many steps you take to make things right, something is wrong. I went to bed. And I was on some pain medication. I woke up at around 3.30 in the morning. Um, I was getting out of bed. My husband said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to get up and take a pill because, I, you know, I was in pain. He said, just lay there. I'll go get it. Don't worry about it. So he went in. He got me a glass of water. I took my medication and laid back down. He went back to bed. In about five minutes, he said, mall. I said, what? He said, do you smell a strange odor? Okay. There. All right. He said, do you smell a strange odor? I said, no, I don't smell anything. And uh, he, he said, nothing. And he said, uh, well, I do. I said, well, get up and look around, you know. So he got up, 
walked all through the house, went down in the basement, checked on Michael upstairs. Nothing. Couldn't find a thing wrong. So he came back to bed. He he said, well, I do. So he stayed up. And I said, well, I better get up and see what's going on. So I got up, walked in the kitchen, checked around, smelled, sniffed, you know. And uh, I couldn't find anything. I said, well, maybe it's a furnace, you know. Maybe we ought to call CG&E. Something may be wrong, you know. No, he says, I don't think it's a furnace. He checked everything down there. After we did a complete look over in the house, we went in the living room. He turned TV on, watched, you know, sports. And uh, we sat there and for a few minutes. And I thought, and I told him, I said, well, I don't feel real good, honey. I'm going to go back to bed. And uh, all right, he said. So I went in there, laid down. And I was in there for about 10 minutes, maybe. And all of a sudden, this black smoke came billowing out of the register in my bedroom. Honey, you know, you would have thought God had done a a miraculous work on my back. Because I got up out of that bed and I started screaming. And I said, Ed, Ed no response. Ed, Ed, you know, no response. Ed, there's smoke coming out of this register. And he come running into the bedroom. And of course, by that time, it was just completely full. I told him, I said, get Michael, get Michael, get Michael. He's upstairs. So he ran upstairs and he got Michael and we ran out that front door. And saints, I'm telling you, we had maybe five minutes to get out of that house before it went up. And it was horrible, horrible. I tried to go back in the house because I left my walker. <laughs> I, I left my shoes. I didn't have any. All I had on was a nightgown. And I so I told him, I, 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 you couldn't get back in. You couldn't. There's no way you could get back. He tried to get back in. And he just about lost it was disoriented by the time he got back out and uh we went out on the front couldn't call 911 you know i old fogey we didn't believe in cell phones you know <laughs> phone wouldn't work couldn't call anybody so i told him i said go next door go next door to buford's call the fire department so he went next door <clears throat> ran over and knocked on the door and couldn't get a response started coming back and I saw Buford coming to the door I said honey he's coming going back going back so he went back and of course they called 911 and I was sitting there shivering Michael sitting over there on the chair and I asked Buford I said have you got a blanket or something I could wrap up in so he gave me his wife sent me a pair of house shoes and a blanket and by that time the house was just billowing with smoke and I told Ed I said honey why don't you walk me over to Buford's house and so he did he had to practically carry me by that time I was feeling the pain and I went over and by the time I sat down on my neighbor's couch and I looked over to the house flames were just billowing out of that living room and I thought, oh, God, I told Michael, I said, Michael, honey, we'll never live in that house again. Everything that we had, you know, 
had just gone. It was just, it was just gone. At least that's what we thought, you know. And by the time, you know, I, I'd come to myself and Ed came over to the house and he said, Ma, he said, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I told him, I said, well, at least we've got the car. The car was in the garage, you know. And uh, he said, well, we ain't got no keys to it. I said, well, my God, I said, that's right. I said, my keys are in the car, the key, everything, everything, insurance card, everything, driver's license, all my important stuff was in my purse. Anybody that came to my house always knew I was sitting in this one chair right by this table, you know, and that's where I lived. And I always set my purse right down beside me on the floor. And uh, I told it, I said, oh, God, I said, Every, everything, what are we going to do? I can't even call the insurance company, don't know the phone number, you know. Tried to call my kids, couldn't remember their phone numbers, you know. And, but you know what? The miraculous thing about it is God did all the work for me. He did it all. And Ed said, well, let, 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 let me go. And I'll talk to one of the firemen and see if maybe the, your purse is still there. I said, so he went in, he went out and talked to one of them. And he said, you didn't by any chance see a black purse sitting by the chair. The chair was completely burned up. And he said, well, it's just as soon as things calm down, well, I'll go in and check, you know. And a few minutes later, he comes out, comes to Ed, and he says, is this what you're looking for? And there was my purse, a little waterlogged, <laughs> but there it was. And then there my wallet, the car keys. We had car keys, you know. I had insurance card, had everything I needed, you know. And so my neighbor, you know, he, he, made, it, he made the phone call to the insurance company. And within minutes, five minutes maybe, the insurance agent right there standing beside my husband watching the house burn you know couldn't have gotten rid of I couldn't get in touch with any of the kids didn't you know I tried every number I could to call Eddie and every number was wrong you know and so it just happened that the little next door neighbor was uh, I don't know computer friends I don't know what you call them with my granddaughter and uh, she had called Mary and told her your grandma's house is on fire and of course Mary went in and told mom and told her mom and Christine is screaming you better not be lying to me I'll kill you you know and so anybody that knows Chris knows that's the way she is and uh, when she got on and they showed her pictures of it and she started screaming so she gets on the phone and calls by, I don't know how, but by a miracle, all the children were notified. All my kid, my husband, standing there alone. All my children, all of them, all of them were there, standing by my husband's side, encouraging him, helping him, going in and checking things, you know. And then I remembered, you know, we had one Christmas present that was other than Michael's down in that one safe room that we have. And none of his stuff was touched. But uh, 
little Kaylee's gift. All the kids had come over that day and took all their gifts home. We had one gift left, and that was little Kaylee's present. And it was under the piano in the bed, in the living room. And um, I told Ed, I said, oh, my God, I think Kaylee's gift is probably burned up. And don't you know, the piano was completely destroyed. The furniture was burned up. Everything destroyed. But that one gift was laying right there, still in the bag that I had put it in, waiting for them to come and pick it up. Jimmy and Missy had brought over our cards for Christmas, and I laid them on top of the chest in the bedroom. And I told Ed, I said, oh, I said, I wonder, you know, wonder what happened to them. So he asked the fireman, he said, did you by any chance see any cards sitting in the bedroom? And a few minutes later, here he comes. This is what you're looking for. Everything it seemed like that seemed important to us, you know, is this what you're looking for? God cares for the little things. He cares, saints. Have you got a promise that God made to you 30, 40 years ago? That promise is still good. He never goes back on a promise. Remember that, saints. He never forgets what he told you he would do. Don't give up because God didn't give up on me. I hadn't, we had no chance of getting out of that house. For years, Michael was born. I had that dread. What would happen if we had a fire in this house? How would Michael ever get out? 35 years later, that dream became a reality. Except for one point, Michael got out. Michael was saved. Everything that we needed, God. And saints, I could tell you stories about that incident and about life afterward. We were immediately displaced, didn't have a home. That evening, I went to the hospital. The next day, I had surgery. Sitting in that hospital room, talking to my son, and he was telling me, he said, Mom, and this was Jimmy. He said, when I was walking through that house and I saw all this, I was thinking, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. You don't have to worry about that, but you got your life. He said, and remember in the Bible, God said, in this life, you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It'll be all right. It'll be all that can be replaced. And then he started crying. He said, but life, life can't be replaced, you know. And from that moment on, God began to just work. We stayed with Jimmy for a couple of weeks. New Year's Day, I think we moved into the motel. Oh, saints, I hope you never have to live like that. 
but we moved into a motel, and it was a good place, you know. Uh, but one home, but God, I want you to know, we moved into a house we didn't pay for. God did. We're sitting on furniture that we didn't pay for. God did. We're eating out of utensils, using things in the house that we didn't pay for. God did. God did. God made provision. The very home we were we were at the point where we were just we ain't never gonna have to find a house. Everything every time we went to look at one, it sold. Every time we saw one advertised, sold. You know, a sale pending, you know. And so one day uh, we were in the grocery store and Kathy called me, told me, Mom, have you checked this house? No, I haven't. I don't know. I think maybe we did. But we went over in the area where we are, over on Arissa, <clears throat> looking at another house, couldn't find it. Wasn't sure what the address was. Knowing me, you can tell me I'll write it down and it'll be wrong, you know. But while we were on the way back looking, there was a lady out front where we were living, where we live now. She was talking to two men. I thought, well, maybe, you know, I told Ed, maybe that house is for sale. Maybe they're, you know, prospective buyers or something. Ed said, well, I'll get out and look. We'll check and see. And they were insurance agents for her car. And he asked her about the house down the road. And she said, well, I don't, I don't know if that house is for sale. But this one might be, you know. You want to come in and look at it? And, you know, took us off the street, took us in her home, showed us everything, complete strangers. I didn't know her. She didn't know me. But the minute I walked through that front door, I told Ed, I said, this is the house. This is it. And everything just kind of fell in place. And so we're in a place. God, God promises. God keeps his promise. Don't give up. If he made you a promise 40 years ago, honey, that promise is still good. And he's still working and has worked all these years. When I went through cancer service, God was fulfilling that promise. When I had my heart surgeries, God was fulfilling his promise. I'll do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and I will bring you water in your desert. Don't go back on God. Believe what he tells you. Know that his promises are real. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know when I wake up tomorrow, whether it be in glory or whether it be in Middletown, the promise will still be just as fresh and just as good as it was then. Saints, I want you to know I appreciate everything that you did for me. Every card, every dollar, every, every stick of cloth. I told my husband, I feel like a new bride. Something old 
something new, something borrowed, and something blue. I had it all and didn't have to pay for any of it. You see that? That's God. That is my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heaven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are the 
enter our need and we worship you this morning. We thank you this morning and we honor you this morning. In his name we pray. Oh, and everybody said amen. Amen. So thankful for God's goodness. You may be seated. A lot going on. Tuesday night we have a business meeting at 7. Wednesday's our midnight our midweek service. Thursday's our Zoom life group. Friday night, Sunday school, you heard about. Saturday's our harvest pars, and Sunday we got Brother Holly coming. What a great week to fellowship and worship and come together as oneness. If our ushers would come forth, take up this offering. And this morning we're going to be blessed by Brother Bobby, and we've gone long, but you are not limited. We may actually stay to 1130, which is what I was used to growing up. So y'all just get settled. Don't get too settled. Preach with him. But don't look at that clock. I tell you, when God wants to do something, we just let him do it. We're not prescribed by a clock, and this is what you got to do. This is the format. I hate routine. I hate tradition because I am so much in a rut. I, I hate change. But on the other hand, I hate tradition and routine because I want God's will. I want whatever he wants. Let's pray. God, anoint this offering. Touch those who are giving this morning. Let there be a blessing in their house and in their financial. Let it be a testimony. Let it be used wisely to the spreading of your word. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. testimony sister niece as she was talking and the spirit just began to move in this place I began to scan the crowd and I thought to myself if truth tabernacle had a book of testimonies and we could begin to have individuals in this place write chapters of those books we've got some testimonies in this place God has been faithful hasn't God been faithful God's been so good to us Amen. And as Sister Glenda said, we're so blessed. Brother Bobby Gardner is going to preach to us. I do want you to know he has been sentenced to the lapel mic because. So, but preach with him as Brother Bobby comes and gives us the word of the Lord. Come on, Brother Bobby. message. 
listen to the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Come on, to him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. Is that sad? It's sad, but guess what? They were the enemies of God. And what did God do? For his mercy endureth forever. He smote Egypt. He brought out Israel from among them for his mercy endureth forever. He has brought you out from Egypt. He's brought you out of this world for his mercy endureth forever. He made Israel to pass through the midst of it for his mercy endureth forever. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host into the Red Sea. He's overthrown your enemies into the Red Sea. Your enemies were chasing you. You, you didn't know how you were going to make it. Sister niece, brother niece, you didn't know how you were going to make it, but his mercy endureth forever. That is Psalm 136. Go home and read it. There's so many examples in there. His mercy endureth forever. And, and you know, I this message, I'm going to try not to keep you standing here too long. Just got a couple things I want to say prior, but... I said, God, why are you having me preach an Easter message? It's not Easter. Mary Faye made a great statement to me this morning. Why is Easter for us like the Old Testament? Why is it the Day of Atonement one day a year? Why is it not every day the living, breathing, victorious God in our life resurrected? We have life. Hallelujah. We can be victorious this morning. We can be victorious every day because he rose again. Hallelujah. I, I just, I'm going to try to settle down here. You know, I played football in college and the best part of a college football game was the tunnel and all the excitement before the game. And I, I, when I started preaching, I was that way. I would be burned out by the first 10 minutes. I would be exhausted. And it's like, no, you got to preach, man. <laughs> So, but I do want to say, yesterday was a beautiful wedding, Brother Sean Neese, that wonderful, wonderful wedding there, a wonderful couple. We're excited about your future. And I got to think, and I think something that would have been really awesome in that wedding is we had the pastor, you mentioned this, the game tape of Brother Sean Neese playing peewee football, but I don't know if Rachel would have liked that. But I was thinking, Brother Sean, you and I, and maybe Rex too, we could uh, maybe do a one game offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals and maybe pastor and brother Rex and we'll say hey donate it to charity and they'll say what charity to our building fund that would be awesome <laughs> I, I'm just joking pastor was trying to pastor had to help me get this mic on today my shoulders are so bad from football Mary Faye always helps me get my other suit jacket on and uh, so, I, yeah, I don't want to go back and play any football, but, uh, <laughs> but I am thankful. God actually used football. I found the Lord, found the apostolic faith in college playing football. I had a couple teammates that were apostolic, and I had the Holy Ghost. But one night in their house, we had been praying for about three hours. I know, I told this testimony a couple years ago, and God kind of took me back this morning. And after about three hours and a cloud of smoke in that room, they asked me, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? And I went home angry. I said, God, I serve you. I, I'm passionate. How can I not have the truth? 
All these years, well, it wasn't, I shouldn't say all, it was a couple of years, but I was pretty radical at that time. Pastor remembers the radical days of me swinging the towel and we were, I baptized somebody in a bathtub before, that was awesome. I baptized somebody in a YMCA before, that was awesome. I think we need to get back to those days, hallelujah. But God took me back to, and those guys preached the truth to me and I, and I was, I found the apostolic truth and it's been almost 20 years and thank God, we're not going back people. We're going to keep pressing forward. We got the truth. We got the truth. Come on. We can't just be Pentecostal. We can't just jump and shout. And we got to have Jesus' name baptism. We got to have the oneness of God. Hallelujah. We got to be separated from the world. Pastor, thank you so much for this opportunity. All you and Sister Heidelbald do, the ministry team. This is a wonderful, wonderful church. What a loving church. There's so many of you that have encouraged me and you're so loving and I thank you for all that. Let's get to the scripture. Let's go to Exodus 25. I know you've been standing. I'm going to try to get you seated here in a second. I'm going to, I, I really like to read one text, but I, I think for this message we need to read two. We're going to go to Exodus 25. 17 through 22, I'm going to read really, really fast. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat, ye shall make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above, upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee. From above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I shall give thee in the commandment unto the children of Israel. Let's go over to John 20 and, you, and then after this I'll get you seated. Verse 11 and 12. John 20, 11 and 12. It says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white, two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And I want to preach to you this morning from the tabernacle to the tomb, from the tabernacle to the tomb. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your power in this place. Thank you for Sister Niece and Brother Niece and their testimony, God, for your mercy. Your mercy endureth forever. God, speak to us this morning from the mercy seat. You are the mercy seat. Speak to us, God. We've got to hear your voice. Take us, God, into the Holy of Holies this morning. God, we don't want dead church. We want a live church. We want to be in the Holy of Holies. Oh, God, when we finish here, let your presence oh, have dwelt above us, around us, in us, through us. God, make us different. And then church, in this last hour, God, it'll be greater than Azusa Street, Lord. That this will be a place of experience, experience every service. 
Oh, Jesus' name, you may be seated. I apologize for keeping you standing for so long. Hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, church, we got to, Azusa Street was great. I love hearing about Azusa Street, but I'm ready to hear about Truth Tabernacle right here in the last day. And every service we come to, that God's presence is moving. We're expecting, we're seeing signs, miracles, and wonders. And we are apostolic in doctrine and Pentecostal and experience. And we get behind Pastor and Sister Heideball and their vision and what this church is going to be. Amen. Amen. This morning, when we look at the mercy seat in the tabernacle, we find inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. You had a cherubim on one end and another cherubim on the other end. Their wings would stretch forth, covering the mercy seat. On this mercy seat would be where the presence of God dwelt, and he would commune with the high priest there. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, you would find the stone tablets, the golden pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. This would demonstrate the law of God, the provision of God, and the authority of God. We can most clearly see this in Hebrews 9, 1 through 5. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing what the mercy seat. Hallelujah. In that box, it represented victories from God of how he gave them the law the authority and provision, but yet it represented failures as well that would have to be covered by the mercy seat of God. Moses had to be given a second set of tablets after witnessing the people of God worshiping a golden calf. If you have your Bibles, Exodus 32, 19 and 20, and it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf, which they had made, and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water. And what did he do? He made the children of Israel drink of it. My goodness. We got to be careful. We got to be careful what we're worshiping. Very, very scary right there. The pot of manna, they got tired of the food from heaven. And as they put the quail in their mouth, the Bible says they died. Numbers 11, 33, and while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Psalm 78, 29 and 31, so they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. How sad that they couldn't stop. They were so filled with things that were not of God. The rod that budded, the great high priest, had led the Israelites into pagan worship, 
But yet God gave him the authority as the high priest. God still had him as the high priest. Number 17, 5 and verse 8. Verse 5 it says, It shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose. Come to pass that the man's rod, I'm sorry, whom I shall choose shall blossom. And I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. And it came to pass, verse 8, that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. That's a victory. There's authority. But what happens? Exodus 32, 21 and 24, Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of the Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, and they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which go before us. For as for this Moses, this man brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We want not what has become of him. Just be careful. When you're spending time with God, when you get alone with God, an attack might come. And, and, and the attack against Moses was coming. And I, and I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. There, these spoke of victory, but yet they spoke of failures. But what had to cover it was a mercy seat. Hallelujah, God had a plan, and that seat that covered those failures was the mercy seat marked by the two cherubims. Let me say it one more time. God had a plan, and the seat that covered those failures was the mercy seat marked by the two cherubims. When we fast forward, we find this same portrait of the mercy seat in the tomb as Mary looks in the tomb. There's an angel at the feet and one at the head in the tomb. However, there is one difference at this time. The surface was there. For the seat, the angels were there. But the mercy seat was not there. The mercy seat was missing. Where was the mercy seat? All of a sudden, Mary hears a voice speaking to her. She did not recognize the voice or know that it was Jesus standing there and confused him for the gardener. She did not understand the transformation that had taken place. She did not understand that the sacrifice had now become the mercy seat. She did not understand at that moment what had taken place in the tomb. But when he says her name, she calls him Rabbi, Master. And John 20, 16 is the Lord calling out to you. Do you know his name? She was a little confused. She didn't know what was happening. Where had the Lord gone? But guess what? When she heard him say her name, she recognized it. Oh, his sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. Be careful in your walk with God what voice is talking to you, what voice you are hearing in the night. You've got to learn how to know God. Come on, pastor. You preach it all the time to know him, not just know of him, and to be able to hear his voice. The sacrifice also became the mercy seat, and this mercy seat was alive and walking around. The mercy seat was now transportable without the help of man. As they would move the tabernacle in the Old Testament, man still had to carry it. But now he said, I am the ultimate sacrifice, and no man should have carry me. Hallelujah. Woo! 
free this morning. If you have your Bibles, go. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm preaching or preaching. <laughs> Romans 3. It's Sunday school. It's Sunday school. We can use a little scripture, right? Romans 3, 21 through 25. I, hopefully I'm not going to have to read too much scripture after this. But, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is Romans 3, 21 through 25. Even the righteousness of God, which is by... Faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. We know this scripture. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. A propitiation. A propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. If you begin to study out propitiation in the Greek, elasterion, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, elasterion, when you study this out, you will find that its meaning is an atoning victim or the lid of the ark. Through mercy, you have access this morning to the holy the cross represented man's failures, the sins, the mess-ups, the hang-ups, the down-and-outs, the addictions, and the dark places. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a dark day. The enemy thought he had won. It was over for Jesus and his followers. Even his most devout followers were left to believe that hope was lost and they were scattered. But those believers didn't know they were being scattered. Hallelujah for a calling unto God to spread the gospel. My wife, as you know, is from Venezuela two years ago at Spanish camp because we didn't have camp this year. But we're going to have camps again. God's God tarries, we're going to have camps again. God's going to bring the apostolic people back together. Hallelujah, we're not going to bow down to COVID. God is going to bring us through and we're going to be together. Amen. But the, the evangelist had said 40, was it 40,000 apostolic UPCI believers in Venezuela had been scattered. Well, Venezuela had 400,000 members in the United Pentecostal Church. It was one of the fastest growing works, one of the greatest works of the United Pentecostal Church in Latin America. But what did God do? He brought persecution. He allowed them to be scattered. And the gospel is going all over Latin America now. Woo! And trust me, I've been to Venezuela. I've been in those services. I, you look out and there's a sea of people. And they might not have a lot, but they're hungry for God. And God is saying it's time. No matter if you have a lot or you don't have a lot, we got to be hungry for God. Hallelujah. It felt as though darkness was all that was left and the altar was the only tabernacle furniture existing or remaining. This is after Jesus. Where was the holy place? Where was the holy of holies? Where was the victory that Jesus prophesied would come? It wasn't a day of victory, but a day of looking at horrific death and the depravity of man's sin that became a bloody, gut-wrenching sacrifice. 
However, when they laid Jesus in that tomb, something would happen. A transformation would begin to take place. The horrific scene of the altar would begin to transform into the holy wonder and awe of God. The altar was becoming the holy of holies. Hallelujah, the body of Jesus laid there lifeless, though it seemed. However, the presence of God dwelt from the mercy seat. Hallelujah, in the holy of holies. What was happening in this tomb? What was transpiring in the holy wonder of a temporary holding place for Jesus? It was in the secret place of this tomb that Jesus' lifeless body would be raised from the dead. What was happening was that Jesus was becoming the mercy seat in that tomb. Jesus is laid in the tomb as the mercy seat was raised on the third day. And mercy was no longer a piece of furniture, but it became the living God. I really thought this was going to be a oneness message. I I hope, I I think I've preached a oneness message. Pastor, I hope someday I really get to preach a a oneness message, you know. (laughs) But as I began to study, God just kept taking me to the mercy. Why, God, why? Easter's, this this is for Easter. No, it's for today. It's for right now. If you can get a hold of Jesus, you can get a hold of mercy. You may have messed up this morning and you feel there's no hope. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is here and he wants to give you mercy. Mercy is in this building. When Jesus was laid in the tomb and rose again, it was no longer just the priest that had access to the holy. But now Mary had access to the holy. You have access to the holy right now. You don't need to have a title or position in the church to have access to the holy. Woo! You don't need me or pastor or the ministry team, to, hallelujah, to access the holy today. Sure, we'll pray for you. We'll believe God to do a work in your life. But you have access to the mercy right now. Why is the mercy here? Because the mercy will lead you to the holy. You had the box. Sorry, I I sweat. I I wish I got the sweat, Gene. Imagine being in, when we would go to Panama, because some of Mary Faye's family had to move to the country of Panama. You just sweat all day long. It's it's an incredible heat there. Like a hot summer day feels like an air conditioner there, you know. Uh, But what was happening was that Jesus was becoming the mercy seat in the tomb. Jesus is laid in that tomb, but he was raised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holiness is one step above the failures. The mercy covers what is ugly and dark. The sins that you don't want anyone to know, but holiness is one step above those failures. Your failures don't define you today. Mercy is here. Pursuing holiness has been on my mind lately. Hallelujah. And we can take one step today toward holiness. The mercy seat is alive and here to extend mercy. It's not just a piece of furniture in a tent. But it's the living, breathing God whose name is Jesus. And you cannot live without the mercy. When you reach for his mercy today, he's going to clean you up. 
and you're going to move towards the holy place and on to the holy of holies. They needed a priest, but we now have access to the great high priest. He is the chief shepherd, but he was also the lamb that was slain. The shepherd protects you, but he also lays down on the cross for you. The lamb that was slain got up in victory on the third day so that you could have an abundant life. And I'm going to say this, you know, I I think the greatest thing about Pastor Heidebel is he exemplifies a shepherd. He lays down his life for this church. Hallelujah. But Tyler, I think you mentioned that what if if Ananias had not went to Paul? God is calling some of us right now. Will you lay down your life for some soul that's hurting? You need to go to them. His mercy wants to lead you to the abundant life. His mercy is not here just to give you mercy, but that the mercy would lead you to the abundant life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Listen, the abundant life in in Jesus is not talking about regards to material possessions, but it's a life free from condemnation and life and a life of peace and joy. When we are not spending time with him, we are not devoting our day to him as our number one priority, then we are allowing the thief to steal away our time. And that can kill and destroy if we're not allowing God to have our time. Brother Rex, I know you've said it, Sister Vesta Mangan. She said, if you don't pray when you get up, you're letting the enemy have that day. I I know it's hard sometimes to go into prayer first thing in the morning. Maybe we got other things we want to do. But if we can, if we can not give our time to the thief so that he don't steal our day. How many days do we have left? I don't know. They're going to say, well, one more soul needs to be one. But there's going to come a day when we say one more soul needs to be one, but the rapture is going to happen. Noah, the door, when Noah had the, the door closed. The door closed. We can't play around with this anymore. I know, Brother Rex, you were preaching this night. We cannot play around with this. This is real. This is your faith. This is your soul. By spending time with God, we are experiencing the victory of the resurrection every day and not just one day on the calendar. Hallelujah. Last point I want to make here before we close is that mercy lifts the condemnation off of you. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you, if you keep walking after the flesh, this, you're going to keep feeling condemned. But the moment that you begin to walk after the Spirit, the mercy allows God to lift off that condemnation. 
Romans 8, at the end of that chapter, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are as counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Woo! Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, no matter what you have done. Or you have come into the house of God caring this morning. Mercy is here this morning so that you can experience the love and joy of God's presence. Come on, we know this scripture. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And guess what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Woo, come on. Reaching for the mercy of God this morning will bring his presence. And with his presence will come the joy and the strength to overcome. Because you are more than a conqueror. He is risen and his resurrection is not just for Easter. It's not just for one day on the calendar. It's for right now. It's for today. It's for this moment. His resurrection extends the mercy and it holds back. It holds back the judgment. God, no. No. Moses interceded for the people. When will we intercede for someone in our life that needs the mercy? God, right not right now. Please know God. Come on, praise him, God. We need your mercy, God. We need your mercy. Woo. Jesus. Take us in today, God. I'm trying to finish. The living mercy seat is pushing back all the fear, the anxiety, the darkness, the accus accusations of the enemy. But you have to reach for it. Don't turn away from it this morning. There's going to come a time when the mercy won't be there. Hear me out. Grace is unmerited favor. But it doesn't push back the judgment. The mercy turns and says, God, no. It pushes back the judgment. In that box, there was judgment. Aaron had failed. They, they didn't want the, the manna from heaven. They wanted the quail. Moses had to break the stone tablets and God had to give him another one. But the mercy seat covered it. The mercy seat is living and it will not only meet with the minister, the pastor, the preacher, or the evangelist, but it will meet with anyone, anywhere, 
at any time. He is available, but are you available? He is reaching and extending mercy towards you right now, but will you reach for him? The musicians can come. I'm going to close. Jesus is saying, bring me the mess up. Bring me the failure. Bring me the hardship. Bring me the pain. Bring me the addiction. And I will replace it with mercy. His mercy is extended this morning. It is reaching for you. Will you reach for it? Hear me out. Your heart. Your heart may look like a mess on the inside. Just be honest. You don't need to tell anybody, but you know. And you just need to lay it down at the altar. The sacrifice on the altar was a mess. It was not a pretty sight. I took a tabernacle class at Purpose Institute and Brother Lonnie Vestal began to teach that course about the tabernacle and he painted a word picture that I'll never forget. We go to Sunday school and we see the pictures of the priest in the nice robes. But when the priest went to that altar, the smell was so bad that they had to offer incense to keep from passing out. Sin is nasty. It's dark. You may have messed up in your life and it's so dark. It's so dark that you're ashamed and you feel guilt. But guess what? His mercy is greater. It's stronger. Your heart may look dark, ugly, and sin-stained, but there is a mercy seat with the gold, not from this earth, but from heaven, here ready to cleanse you and offer you new life. Your heart speaks of hurt, but his heart speaks of healing. I'm going to finish with one, one short little thing about one of our ministers, short little testimony and a scripture, and then we're going to close this out. Lee Stone King, one of our ministers who died in an airport, had a heart attack, clinically dead for 45 minutes. Nobody around except the ambulance and the, the workers inside of the ambulance. Nobody praying for him. But God raised him from the dead. And he's still preaching to this day. He's still speaking in the United Pentecostal Church to this day. But guess what? He gave a testimony at the United Nations. And he said in seven and a half minutes, he was the only speaker of the day that actually followed seven and a half minutes. And it's met, he preached about being an apostolic Christian. He preached the Acts 2.38 message to the United Nations. It went all over the world. In seven and a half minutes, the Acts 2.38 message went around the world to many, many nations. But here's what I, my point. Here's why I say this, because he was recently on a Zoom call with Art Wilson, who has taught Bible studies on apostolic doctrine at the United Nations for more than a few years now. And he said, he said, Brother Stone King, give us a word. These are tumultuous times. We are desperate for a word from God. And Brother Stone King said something that shook me. And he said, we have seen persecution. We are experiencing persecution. No, we're not being killed. But the persecution is coming and it's about to get stronger. But here's what he said. 
we have not seen the wrath of God. We have seen persecution, but when Jesus raptures this church, the wrath is coming on this earth and there will be no mercy to stop it. So right now, at this moment, we need the mercy of God and you can't run from the mercy of God. You cannot run this morning. I'm begging you, I'm pleading you, do not run from the mercy of God. Let me finish with this scripture. And I'm tired, I've read, I don't know how many scriptures. It's like, Jesus, can I preach? Do I have to be a teacher this morning? I just want to preach, Jesus. Do I have to be a teacher? Do I have to read all these scriptures? But Hebrews 9, I'm finishing with this and I'm done. 11 through 14. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place. He entered in once not sacrifice after sacrifice. Brother Vestal said there would have never been enough animals to take away the sin. There, there's not enough animals in the Old Testament to deliver them. But Jesus, one drop of his blood, and it delivered us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, hear this part, purge, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living of God. You may be here this morning and you have dead works. Your life is not speaking of God's power and his test and his presence. Your life feels defeated. You feel there's no hope. You feel lost, but his mercy. I'm sorry, I don't get, mean to get some emotion, but his mercy is speaking to you this morning. close. Mary Faye is uh, Israel. She just loves studying Israel. <laughs> she loves to study Israel. And I like listening to her. Tell me about it. Israel's working on a red heifer right now. And Art Wilson told us, I don't know if it was on the same Zoom call, that he was on a call with the United Nations and the Gates Foundation came on the call. Bill Gates Microsoft said, we're working on a microchip because of COVID and all this thing. So I'm here and I'm not going to keep begging, but I'm here's what I'm telling you. This end is coming. It's going to wrap up. Reach for the mercy. Every sign is here. Every sign. And I want my family and I want so many people to be saved, but I want to go. I want to go to heaven. We've worked too hard. Sister Niece, you fought so many battles, Brother Niece. We've fought too hard. We have come too far to walk away. Right now, it is time to give your life to God. Go ahead, Sister Man. I'm done. Praise God. This altar is open. If you want prayer, the ministry team will pray for you. Whatever you need this morning. Hallelujah.
this tabernacle right now. Lift your hands, raise your voice. Come on, make that connection with God this morning. Make that connection with Him this morning. Come on, respond to His mercy this morning. That's the only thing standing between you and the judgments of God. Move over us as we respond to that word today. 